Communication can be simply defined as the delivering of information. Now, effective communication is when that information is actually received by your audience. Because see, it doesn't matter how great your delivery is, your communication is ineffective if the information isn't actually received by your audience. And I'll take it a step further. Not only should information be received by your audience, but it also needs to be understood by your audience. Here's an example. Let's say I put you in front of a computer. On that computer screen is a bunch of computer programming. If you're not a computer programmer, that information makes no sense to you. So although the information has been delivered, without understanding the information in front of you, that information is useless. And I want to take it a step further. I truly believe that communication is mostly effective when your audience is able to take the information that you've given them and then relay it to another third party. Because that shows you that they truly got it. They truly received the information and they truly understood it to the point where they're able to share it with someone else. Now I want to define art. Art is really, it's going with the flow, it's being in the zone, it's being present and adjusting as necessary. Because you can have all the structure in the world, but you have to learn how to navigate through conversations. You may need to navigate through questions or rebuttals or comments that you may never have heard before. And communication really is an art form. It's like a song and dance. Communication kind of reminds me of painting a painting. Let's say your original idea was to make a left stroke with the color orange. But in the middle of the process, you decide that a right stroke with the color yellow is more appropriate. It's about being in the zone and adjusting as necessary. So why should we even care about effective communication? Well, we should care about effective communication because these are some of the results of ineffective communication. Number one on the list is wasted time. We waste so much time due to ineffective communication and I highly doubt anyone here wants to waste their time on purpose. Secondly, we also waste emotions. Because see, along with wasted time, conversations drag on much longer than they need to. And with that, our emotions drag on much longer than they need to. See, ineffective communication also leads to misunderstandings. And misunderstandings could lead to the eventual loss of relationships. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Are you ready to level up the podcast for leaders, entrepreneurs, and business with your hosts, Jose Medina and Crystal Garcia? It's time to level up. In a world that is constantly evolving and increasingly connected, the ability to communicate effectively is more important than ever before. I'm your host, Jose Medina, and I'm here with my co-host, Crystal Garcia. And we're excited to have you join us on this enlightening journey as we explore the secrets to unlocking your true communication potential. Today, we'll dive into fascinating conversations with our guest and communications expert, James Young. Together, we'll uncover practical tips, proven strategies, and eye-opening insights that will empower you to express yourself with clarity, with confidence, and with charisma. From the art of persuasive storytelling and mastering nonverbal cues to navigating difficult conversations and building meaningful connections, we'll tackle it all, ensuring you're equipped with the tools to thrive in both your personal and your professional life. So whether you're looking to ace that job interview, captivate your audience during a presentation, or simply build stronger relationships with the people around you, you've come to the right place. Sit back, relax, and get ready to transform the way that you interact with the world 
as we embark on this exciting adventure together. And here to speak with us about communication is our special guest and friend, James Young. Thank you for that great introduction. Happy to be here. Couldn't wait for this. There's so much about communication I want to share. We kind of want to know a little bit more about you. We want our listeners to know who you are and kind of your background and, and how you got to the point of being a communications expert. Can you tell me where'd you grow up? Okay, so I grew up in the streets of Staten Island, New York. The streets of Staten Island. Uh, I was educated in a, a private school. Most of the people didn't look like me. It was math, science, and antiquities. I learned how to speak Latin, Spanish, and that school. I went on. I went to an all-black college, Howard University. Yeah. I also studied at Texas A&M. Let me ask also- you a question. Let me ask you a question because you, you, you just gave me two contrasts, right? Talk about going to a, um, a predominantly white school and then going to a predominantly black school. Well, what, was the, what was the difference there like in terms of communication? Like, did that change for you? Was, was there a transition there? Like, how did that work out? It was a big transition. Yeah. When I was going to school, I was the defender of my race. So I was a representative of my race because most of the people that went to the school uh, had money, were wealthy, and never really had communication with any kind of minorities, not necessarily African-American, Spanish, or anybody else. Um, and I was there for years by myself. So I started there in kindergarten, and we're talking the late 60s, uh, all the way up to I graduated in 83. That was a very difficult time for me. Of course, you know, I got my lunch thrown at me. You know, everything I said, I was, you know, I was categorized as talking slang. And I was very shy in my speech. I always used to hold my hand over my face when I talked because my teeth were messed up too. So uh, they used to always, you know, to say I was talking jive or something like that. Uh, Because I was always, one of my problems growing up, and most people in New York always have this problem, one of talking with their hands. And I would always say, you know what I'm saying? That was something that, you know, I still do every now and then. It slips out. And then going to all black school, I had to change the way I talk because we have this stigma as minorities. And I'm sure Hispanics have this too, Asians. But when black people talk to each other, we use certain kind of shortcuts or slang or vernacular that I might not have been aware of that somebody either hit me to or I learned while I was there. Gotcha. So it was, it was a big change in environments, and I think that makes me kind of an expert on communication and the way you should conduct yourself because yeah. uh, I think I can fit it in any, any atmosphere. Yeah. In, in terms of your, your transition from, uh, from Howard University, once you did, what, did you, what did you do after that? What did you do after college? So after college, I went and uh, ran around the streets of New York for a little while. Yeah. Bullshit jobs that I figured that, uh, you know, wouldn't get me too far in life. I had a car. Some of my boys used to call me the bartender. Now, you're probably wondering how we were late bartending to my car. Were you okay. selling it out of the trunk? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Because I bought alcohol from somebody every, that stop. way before. <laughs> right. I don't know how to share that story. <laughs> every time I would stop at a red light, I'd have to get out the car, pop my trunk, and put uh, all kind of fluids in my car. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I had a break in so many lines. I, I didn't have the money to get it repaired. Right? <laughs> I was working. I don't want to say where I was working, but I was working for a cable and a phone company two different times. Yeah. And I was doing hustling. So uh, that's not the life I wanted. Then I got shot in New York. 
And then I decided to change my life. And one of my friends was a recruiter. You say you got shot? Yeah, you, you kind of glazed, yeah, 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 glazed over that really fast. Like, like, <laughs> with, 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 did well, you mean you this? got a shot or you got shot? <laughs> I got shot. I got shot twice. What, what was uh, the, uh, what, what was, uh, if you can, if you want to talk about it, if you don't want to talk about it, we just move on. Yeah, but... no, no problem implementing you in the crime. It was over something that involved some territorial family stuff. Yeah. And that's all I can say about that. No, I got you. I got you. I, I come from a similar background, so I understand the dynamics of that. I, I was really curious to know whether it was tied to any like miscommunication or arguments and things like that. They all stem from like bad communication or assumptions and things like that. So I was just curious yeah. about that. But you know, everything in the in the street is a miscommunication yeah. because hear what they want to hear. Yeah, right? yeah, sure, sure. One of the things I was going to talk about in the five communication yeah. was noise, right? Noise in the communication. Yeah. So. We have so much going on in the street sometimes, and, and life is so hard, we can't hear what people are trying to say. Yeah. Or we miss it. You're which, distracted. Which, you know what I'm saying? Which yeah. we call bias. Even yeah. though it's true, we don't want to hear it because it doesn't right. Create a good point. Um, sometimes the noise is psychological. Sometimes the noise is geographical. Sometimes it's, you know what I'm saying? Like the noise can be from anything. It's not actual physical noise always. Sometimes it's emotional noise, and it's, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's a quote by Tony Robbins where he says, to effectively communicate, we must realize that we are all different in a way that we perceive the world and to utilize that understanding as a guide to our communication with others. And I think that's perfect because, you know, what you were just talking about, James, depending on your environment, we communicate differently, we perceive things differently. And I think it's important to remember that when we're communicating with people. Yeah, it's really good. Um, thank you for sharing that, Crystal. After you got shot, you said you wanted to change things um, in your situation. What was your next step? So my next step was getting out of the Army. Because once I talked to the recruiter, you know, I was doing my little hustling, doing what I needed to do. And he told me how much I was going to make initially. I said, man, get out of here. I'm not working for $300 for a month. Are you crazy? You know, I got socks. <laughs> when he broke it down, he said, hey, you don't have to pay for food. You don't have to pay any rent. You don't have to pay any gas. None of that stuff. You don't need a car. You can walk to them. I said, you know what? I, you know, I took a pen and paper and looked at my bills that I was paying in New York and paying for all the fluids I was putting in my car and everything else, right? <laughs> I was like, you know, what am I doing with my life? Let me yeah. try this. He said, you can travel. You meet interesting people. And I, that's why I met you. So I, I guess that's true. I'm right? interesting. So you got to travel the world, so, meet, meet, meet Jose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So back to what you were saying. I'm sorry. I, I want to cut back to what Crystal was saying, yeah. and I have a quote I made just for this show. Well, not me made it, uh, by a guy named Peter Drucker. And he said, the most important thing in communication is to hear what isn't being said. That's a good quote. Absolutely. That's a very good quote. Um, that's a quote so, I'm very familiar with, actually. 97% of communication. What job did you do in the military? So I was a communications person in the military, so I did telephones, faxes, radios, computers, uh, anything you could think of dealing with communication. And I also had to learn how to speak publicly because if you're in the military and you're standing in front of a squad, platoon, company, battalion, whatever, you need to speak, be heard, and understood. In my MIS studies, my master's in business, I took a speech class. And to see the people run out in terror, of speaking publicly or yeah. making a mistake was crazy. Because, you know, when you speak professionally or you speak in public, a lot of people say, um, what? So they, they chop up their speech yeah. and they don't 
put it out correctly. So instead of that, I learned how to pause, collect my thoughts before I say, um, and use any slang. Right. That's good. Crystal, didn't you take a speech class in college? I did. How'd that go? He did an assessment after every time you got up in front of the class and gave your speech. And he had a few rules that he had given us in the very beginning, like not chewing gum when you're presenting and things like that. One of the things that he really stressed on, because he was actually a news anchor, was speaking up, speaking loud enough for the size of your group for them to hear. And on my last assessment, he wrote in all caps with exclamations, could I pay you to speak up louder? (laughs) I thought I was being loud enough. Did you run out the room, Crystal? Huh? Did you run out the room? No, I didn't run out the room, but you know what's funny is that there was a guy in the class who did one of his speeches on making homemade wine, like his family made wine. And so I had two glasses of his wine before my last speech. (laughs) (laughs) Did it work? Did did it help you? It did. It was strong. It was, yeah, it was crazy. So back to what you were saying, um, Jose, about my adjustment in the military. I'm going to say when I first got in the military, it was a, a culture shock to me. Yeah. One, I never ran a mile. You know, all I was used to doing was running my mouth. Right? <laughs> so I, I never, I had never mingled with so many different type of people from different places. First time I ever seen anybody chew dip or snuff, I thought the person had cancer. <laughs> but maybe you need to go to sick hall, right? I didn't know what it was. I, I was yeah. ignorant. I never slept in complete darkness. I can tell you stories for days about coming in the military. Yeah. I never had a man raise his voice at me like that without getting into a fight. Yeah. So in basic training, one of the drills like ran up on me, got in my face, and he touched me with his, his brim, the round brown he had on. So I pushed him back. Oh, my gosh. They all jumped around me. So I pushed me. What do you want? What do you want? It was a very hard experience for me, both physically and mentally. Yeah. But I'm say more physically because coming from the streets, you can disavow a lot of mental stuff. But running five miles, ten miles, whatever. Yeah. Um, actually, when I went to Korea, I was so adept at running. I used to get up and run on my own on Sunday to try to stay in shape. I have the fat gene. So were, were fat- you able to to hold a conversation while you were running? Yeah, you could do that. Oh, yeah. then you weren't running fast enough. <laughs> it's called it's called cadence. So in military, you got to call cadence. Yeah. Sure. It's part part of breath control. Yeah. How many years did you end up doing in the military? 24 and a half. What was the most challenging uh, time that you had in the military? Oh, man. (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell a story that you know. Okay. So I was deployed in Afghanistan on a small mid-team. We had a colonel who shall not be named who sexually assaulted a female who I was close to, to say the least. I was in a difficult position because I was the equal opportunity person that was supposed to prevent sexual harassment and sexual assault, but I was held captive on a very small five, which is a forward operating base, where she was. So she complained to me, but he tried to squelch it. He actually got to have a violent conversation with me and also spurned others to do the same with me and her. So the first chance that I got to get off post, and make a complaint, I did so. Yeah. And oh my God, it was just a, a firestorm. That whole year was just a, a horror story for me. They yeah. sent me further down range so I could get shot at more. It was just a horror for me. I was just glad to get out of there alive. And yeah. you're aware of that story too. 
Yeah, I know, I know they uh, they moved you from one uh, operating base to another operating base that was actually in a more dangerous environment, put you more and more at risk. I know with my case, EO was still handling it, equal opportunity, but yeah. the military's changed that to sharp now, and that works. That reporting is a little bit different, which is good because it prevents, I'm not going to say all of that stuff, but it definitely prevents some yeah. of it. Sometimes you, when you think about that, and, and I know this is kind of a little bit off topic, but when you think about that sexual harassment stuff and you think about how it impacts the victims, you really don't understand how it impacts those people who try to do the right thing as well. Like here, James is trying to report something that happened, but he's got a blocker who's a leader who's blocking him and, and then making others around him hostile towards him at a time where you're already vulnerable because you're deployed. Kudos so, to you to make it through that, man. Yeah, thank you, man. So just one point there about nonverbal communication. Yeah. When she reported the incident to me, she kept rubbing this place on her face where he had kissed her and she was shaking. So I knew then it was a serious complaint. I knew I had to do something and that's why I acted. And that's a really good point because if you'd been clueless about that and you would have not been paying attention to her verbal cues, you may have just brushed it off and been like, ah, it's not a big deal. But you could see she was, she was physically shaken and she was reacting, you know what I'm saying? Non-verbally. And so even if she would have been laughing about it, you would have still would have been able to understand that it was more serious than that. Some people use laughter as a way to, of coping. You'd be like, oh, well, she was laughing. Maybe it's not that serious, but her verbal, verbal cues kind of cued you into what was going on. That's great. I know you said you had five topics. What, what were your five topics before we go into um, some more content? Oh, well, five elements of communication. Yeah. Sender, who's actually sending out the message. Okay. The receiver, the person who's receiving it. The medium it was sent, right? whether that's on the phone, verbal, electronic, whatever. Then you have the noise in the communication that we already talked about. Yeah. That's four. But the most important thing to me is feedback. Uh. Because if you don't get the feedback that the message was sent out correctly and interpreted by the receiver and sent back to you in the form of an acknowledgement, you're not sure that your message was sent effectively. Right. And it's going to carry it out as you want. No, that's a great point. And uh, one, of, you know, one of our hacks is, uh, is focused on feedback. And so I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So today we're focusing on how to master the art of communication. And it may sound like a simple thing because after all, we start learning how to communicate as babies, honestly. And even though we might think that we're experts at 15, we're not. And we're still not even experts at adults, honestly. And the truth is that some of us never really learn how to communicate effectively. There's a reason why I believe that this topic is the most critical, and that's because communication is so important in everything that you do. And I think this is going to be probably one of the most critical topics that we've actually covered on the podcast. After all, poor communication can lead to a variety of negative consequences, both in our personal and professional lives. And some of those pitfalls of poor communication include misunderstandings. So, you know, ambiguity or lack of clarity can cause confusion and lead to misunderstandings, which can result in wrong decisions or actions being taken. What has been your biggest misunderstanding? Have you, have you ever had a, like a major misunderstanding, James? So I will say that um, I had a student that uh, I was teaching college, and I won't say which college, and most of the assignments were turned in electronically. So he failed to put his work in week three. He put it in week five instead. I wasn't going to look for it. So when he got his F, he came to me and complained. But the mistake he did was he came with a lot of angst. He had a lot of anger, a lot of pent-up aggression, yeah. right? So he didn't communicate to me effectively. Um, he came at me hostile, and I know I talked with my hands, and I tried to decompress the situation. 
Was um, this, was this very, in person? Sorry, I just wanted to ask. Was this in person or was this like email or text or? Person in person because okay. it was during class. after class. He came and approached me and said, "Why did you, I get an F?" And I said, zero. I gave him a zero." And he was like, "Why didn't you give me you know at least some a ten or something?" I said, "Well," <laughs> I said, and he was like, "What do you mean?" I sent it. I said, "Well, pull it up and you know I'll give you a grade if you got it." He couldn't pull up. Well, I don't know what happened to it. So he got mad. He threw his computer down, probably broke it. And then he said, you're going to give me a sign. I said, oh, actually, I'm not. I said, now we, there's nothing to even discuss. So I was trying to give him some kind of idea of being personal responsibility and being an adult. And I said, hey, I had a car crash. The insurance company still raised my insurance. It's personal responsibility. And I had to pay for the other, the insurance company I have had to pay for somebody else. So they raised it so I understood and I went with it. So that communication didn't go well because he went and told the dean. The dean called me in and asked me what happened. I said, well, uh, between his flailing around and threatening body gestures and, and body language, nonverbal cues, I thought I was going to have to call security or choke him out. I'm not a Taekwondo expert. But he might, you know, got a headlock on him, some rear naked choke. But anyway, <laughs> didn't go well. Um, I still failed him, right? Even though they was trying, oh, well, everybody makes mistakes. Yes, mistakes cost. So he's old enough to understand when you make a mistake, you have to pay for it. So it didn't go well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's a good story, man. That's a really good story. Do you think that you would have responded differently? So if he would have approached you differently, if he would have said, um, hey, man, I know that I turned it in. If I can find it and show you the proof, like, will you change this? I don't know what happened, but I know that I turned it in. Would you have responded differently? Probably not, to be honest with you. Because if 26 other students in the class could find it and, you know, put it in the right. This is the third week of class. This is not the the first session. You know, first session, you might, you know, might have to walk you through it, hold your hand. But after the third session, a third week, there's no reason why you're still lost. And he wasn't that good a student anyway. I mean, uh, you know, you're bordering on a D and the F. I mean, you know, I yeah. just push you. Um, I have a little bit of a story. and This is kind of a little bit of a funny story. When I was in high school, I went to, I went to a pretty rough high school with about maybe 3,000, 4,000 students. Were you the rough part of the high school? No, I was one <laughs> of the rough parts. One of. Um, but I, I heard this rumor. I was, a, I was a freshman, and I heard this rumor about this guy. His name was Ronnie Calhoun. And everybody was like, man, Ronnie Calhoun is a beast. He has never lost a fight. He, he fights guys bigger than him, twice tw- older than him. Like, But I didn't know who this guy was. So I started asking around. I'm like, hey, who's this guy, Ronnie Calhoun? I heard he could fight. I heard he could fight. Um, and I was kind of a fighter in high school. So... <laughs> I guess with me asking around, somehow that communication got back to Ronnie Calhoun, who I didn't know. And I'm sitting in class one day, and this big old dude walks in. He walks up to me. He goes, yo, what's up? I heard you were looking for me. I said, who are you? He goes, I'm Ronnie Calhoun. I was like, bro, I heard you could scrap. I don't want no smoke. I was like, yeah, I heard you were a beast, man. I heard you ain't never lost a fight, and I ain't trying to find out otherwise. Um, but yeah, he, we became good friends, but, um, actually his daughter reached out to me, um, in the last couple of years cause he's in prison right now. But, um, that was a situation of a total misunderstanding where I'm just trying to find out, well, who is this guy? Like, sure. Um, one of the other pitfalls is damaged relationships. Sometimes an effective communication can strain relationships and create mistrust, foster negative feelings, um, such as resentment, frustration, or anger. Do either of you have anything that you can think of where, Maybe you had damaged a relationship because of how you communicated or how they communicated with you that was actually damaging. 
I had my first wife. Um, she was the I'm in love with my life at the time. Spoke five languages. She was a model. Everything else, and she used to collect perfumes, and these perfumes were like hundreds of dollars an ounce. I was a private, <laughs> and she was borrowing money from strange people coming to my house getting money. And I accidentally, I got so frustrated and got so mad. You know, I didn't like to be in debt or anything like that. And I accidentally threw a curse word at her. And she was such a little delicate flower. So <laughs> she couldn't handle that. And she reminded me of that, you know, through all of the rest of the marriage and our divorce. Oh, right? wow. And that's, she said, that's the point that I had to, I was doubting my love for you. Mm. So almost made me cry. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That's really crazy. Because you have to realize that each person's communication is based on their their experience, how they were raised, what they were exposed to. And if someone was raised in a way where no one ever yelled or no one, like that could be, like we talked about it before when we talked about allowing your children to see you go through conflict and how you handle conflict so that you understand that that's a normal part of communication. Handling right. conflict is part of communication. That's sad that that one thing was like the, the thread that unraveled things. But, you know, I will say that in that instance, and I'm not sure if she communicated this early on or if it was something that she just kind of brought up as saying, like, I'm hurt. But if on your side, if you're the person who felt damaged to some degree, you have the responsibility of making that known. So and that's part of communication as well. So you need to figure out what it is that upset you. You know, is it because you, you know, for you, you believe that that cursing is just completely disrespectful. And so you felt like you were disrespected. That has to be communicated because if that person doesn't know and obviously if the person loves you, they're not going to do it intentionally. They're not going to intentionally yeah. do something that's that's hurting you. But if you don't make it known, they can't make a change. So yeah, that's true. So and you're absolutely right. So communication in my first marriage, we joked a lot in my first marriage. I'm going to say we were getting intimate at one time, and she looks back at me. Her English wasn't that good. I think English was one of the her faux pas. I mean, she was good at some things, but not concepts she didn't understand. Yeah. So she looked back at me, and she says, who's this? It? And I said, that's my line, not yours. So we just <laughs> stopped laughing. And that was always like a, a secret uh, joke that we held inside. Right. But one of the things, one of the quotes that I always just used to say, and there was a Nat Turner quote, and it's something I'll never forget. Good communication is the bridge between confusion and clarity. Yeah, that's good. So in your relationships, you need to you know, figure that out. Now that's coming yeah. from a former slave. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, some of the other pitfalls are decreased productivity, conflict escalation. So when you're not communicating effectively, you know, things can get worse, you know, quick. Um, loss of credibility, lower morale. And lower morale sticks out to me because when you have poor communication, it definitely can contribute to a negative atmosphere that leads to, you know, decreased motivation, job satisfaction, and overall morale. You know, even even not being a transparent person because like in a, in a business setting, if your employees are not aware of what's happening, they don't feel included, you know, they might feel at risk if they think the business is at risk. And, and those things play into how people feel, you know, if they're satisfied, if they feel included. So um, that one kind of stuck out to me. 
And then hindered personal growth, definitely that one, misaligned goals, um, the ability to influence. So I, I definitely want to talk about that one. So the ability to communicate your thoughts persuasively may reduce your capacity to influence others and negotiate effectively or advocate for ideas and whatever it is that you're that you're trying to get across. Yeah. What have you seen? Because I know this is really big in the in the military, where when somebody doesn't communicate effectively, it makes it difficult for them to be able to influence that group. Yeah. Do you have any examples of that, or has that is that something that you've dealt with or had to change personally? I had a, a platoon sergeant who was also my section leader in communication. So he wouldn't really communicate to us at all. So we end up sitting in the shop. So because of that, we were thought as as turds, right? Because we weren't doing any work or anything. And when we did talk to him, he was having family problems at home. We found out he was going through a divorce with his wife. So the little time he was there, we were in a state of confusion. We didn't have any morale. We didn't know where to be. Everybody was all stressed out. And it just, it wasn't a, a good look. So when he left, the new sergeant came and it took over everything. He was an, a patient communicator and a professional. We used to joke a lot. Don't get me wrong, because I'm, you know, I keep jokes with me in my pocket, right? <laughs> but he was a good guy. We had a great relationship, and I enjoyed communicating with him because he made sure you understood what his intent was, and we carried it out. Yeah, you talk about intent, and I think that's a big that's a big part of it because sometimes communication. The intent is lost in the communication. When you make a statement or you direct someone to do something, but they don't understand what the intent is, and so they don't execute properly. And sometimes even even when you when you say something, like, for example, I may say something to Crystal that she feels was disrespectful, and she'll be like, you disrespected me. And I'll be like, well, it wasn't my intent to disrespect you. It was my intent to tell you this bothers me or that bothers me. And so for you to understand that that was not my intention, then you know I didn't do it on purpose I unintentionally offended you. And so, you know, we could talk through that and we could figure that out. That's part of, that's part of communication. So for sure, yeah. you know, the, the last pitfall is missed opportunities. And that's really a big one because when you come off a certain way to somebody, if you're in a setting where it can impact a promotion or you're in a setting where it can impact a sale or a business contract, if your communication isn't attuned to your audience or attuned to how they perceive your communication, then there's a very big possibility that you can miss out on opportunities. Yeah. And I got an example of that. And, um, uh, when I was a E4, uh, going, I was a specialist going, trying to get promoted to a Sergeant. I, I used to go to boards all the time. I was pre- preparing to go to a promotion board. And so I used to do like soldier of the month boards. And, uh, one of my first sergeants, he used to sit on the board. His name was first Sergeant Fry. He's in Atlanta. I think he works at the airport. So if he listens to this podcast, he knows what I'm talking about him. <laughs> I, I, every time I fly through Atlanta, I look for him because I want to punch him in the face. Does but, he really uh, work there? Yeah, he does. Oh, wow. Yeah, I look for him every time. <laughs> but, you know, I, I went to a promotion board, and the sergeant major who was on the board, who was, who was sitting on the board, after everybody turned in their score sheets for my performance, the first sergeant scored me the lowest out of everybody. Um, everybody else scored, scored me, like, top. You and know? he was your first sergeant? He was my first sergeant. <laughs> yeah, he was my first sergeant. And so the sergeant major asked him, he said, hey, why did you give him such a low score? And he goes, because he's cocky he was misconstruing my confidence because I'd been to so many boards as cockiness. 
Every answer that he spit out, I knew the answer to because I'd been to so many boards. I prepared and I wasn't trying to be cocky, but sometimes the communication is not received and, and his, his perception of it was that I was cocky and it was stopping me from making as many points as I would have. So I got less points for the promotion. It took me longer to get promoted. Um, so that's kind of a good example of missed opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Well, we have some hacks that can help you master the art of communication and there's five. And these will not only enhance, you know, your ability to get your message across the way that you intend to, but also in how you receive messages from other people as well and not miss out on opportunities. Our first hack is active listening. It's the foundation of effective communication, yet it's often overlooked. The key to active listening is to really be present when someone's talking to you, avoiding distractions, and just focus on what the person is saying. Remember, it's important to be patient and let the speaker finish their thoughts without interrupting them. Your body language also matters, so it's important that you lean forward, you nod as they're speaking, and you stay relaxed to show that you're engaged. When they're done talking, try to summarize what they said to make sure that you got it right. Or if you need additional clarity, then you can ask them open-ended questions. It's crucial to keep an open mind and not be judgmental during the conversation. Focus on understanding their perspective. Try to put yourself in their shoes uh, so that you see where they're coming from, um, even if you don't agree with it. Feel free to provide feedback, but only after they've finished talking. Uh, just make sure that it's constructive and respectful. And don't forget that practice makes perfect. The more that you practice active listening, the more natural it will become for you. James, have you ever had someone personally or professionally that didn't listen to you actively while you were having a conversation with them? And how did you handle that? Or how did that make you feel? So I have a very good friend who is totally opposite of me in political spectrum. And not to talk about politics, but there's an individual, we'll just call him 45, who everything out there totally opposite end of the spectrum and every piece of evidence that I present to him, he doesn't hear. And that's that confirmation bias, right? right? He's distracted either by the noise in his head, the noise being, I don't want to listen to what this liberal Democrat guy is saying, but he didn't understand. And I, and I, I we're very good friends to this day, right? Only because I broke down to him. I said, listen, you're putting me in the box. I'm conservative about some things crime and I'm liberal about others drinking drug you want to get high do you think so we kind of came to a, a parting of the ways for a minute and then we got conjoined again as friends and we can discuss any topic now being Caucasian and me, me being African-American we talk about sensitive issues that people will lose their mind over but we establish those lines of communication and understanding where we have a common vernacular in our communication now no, that's really good. I think sometimes people get emotional, especially when they're talking about sensitive topics like religion, um, politics, because for some reason they feel like they have to influence you, like they have to change your mind about it. You can have your opinion and feel your way and not feel like you have to make someone else feel that way as well. Like, you know, not, not just that, but even when you're like getting into an argument with somebody and obviously you're emotionally charged at that point. Yeah. Sometimes when the other person's speaking, you're already thinking about what it is that you want to say next. Yeah, I do that sometimes. Which yeah. definitely means that you're not Actively. really listening, yeah. you know. And I've actually found, because this is something that I've really tried to work hard on being better at, is that when I don't understand somebody, I have to listen more. Like, I yeah. have to lean in and I have to, you know, like, listen to every word to make sure that I'm understanding what they're saying because of 
maybe the language barrier or, or whatever in that situation because their message isn't real clear to you. You're having to to work harder to to understand what it is that they're saying. And so this is something I've really had to work on in, you know, not analyzing something halfway through somebody explaining something. Oh, that's good. I will agree. I was talking to a lawyer recently and I didn't see eye to eye on what he was saying. And he was using big words. Some people put big words and things in discussions to assert their authority or, or whatever. Right. And I started playing uh, Biggie in the back of my head. I, my, I was distracted. I, I was somewhere else. And then I had to come down and then I had to ask myself, do I ask this question because I don't want to look stupid or do I ask the question for clarity? So I decided to ask the questions for clarity, but I understand exactly what you're saying, Crystal. Sometimes you have to ask those questions to be absolutely 100% sure of what the person is talking about. Right. Which I feedback. Yeah, yeah for sure. sure. I don't know if either of you have heard about the Jahari window, but it's yeah. it's how other people perceive that you're that you're taking in information. And um, I've never heard of it, so can you explain it? So this is actually something that I think that we should include in the show notes, so we'll do that. But um, the Jahari window is a way that you can see for yourself how others perceive how you're how you're taking in information based on how they observe you in conversation with somebody else. So if you think of like a triangle and you know how you have some some triangles that are really far apart, they're really wide, the pieces are really wide like a big like a really large piece of cake. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if your Jahari window is small or if it doesn't exist, then you don't have that. It's completely closed. And so what happens is if you only open up your window long enough to allow for information to come out and you never have it open for information to come in, you're closing off your ability to learn and grow. Mm -hmm. So you really want for that window to be open as wide as possible. So we'll include that in the show notes so that you can go in and look at it, do a little bit of research yourself and um, to kind of understand that a little bit better than probably what I've explained but definitely, I think, you know, in that area, that's something I think honestly that anybody can work on. But definitely yeah. you don't want to be closed off to learning. Sure. The second hack for mastering communication is to show empathy. You know, developing your ability to listen and communicate with empathy can really make a difference in your relationships, whether they're personal or professional. And when communicating, try to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Imagine what they might be feeling or going through and focus on understanding their perspective instead of just thinking about your own. You know, sometimes when somebody's talking and you're paying attention to them, you might actually get valuable cues from that conversation. You know, maybe they're nonverbal cues with their body language, like you had said earlier, James, where you notice that, you know, maybe you've even identified what their iceberg is, what's under the surface. So what they're actually talking to you about maybe isn't even what it is that they're upset about. It's, it's maybe how you communicated something or how something happened that made them feel a particular way. It's also important to be patient and let the person actually finish their thoughts without interrupting them. When they're done, reflect back and, you know, ask open-ended questions, almost like peeling back an onion to get them to share more. Um, sometimes that even helps for their perspective as they're sharing. So phrases like, I can see why you'd feel that way, or oh, that sounds really tough. You know, those are things that can help convey that empathy. And remember that it's not always about solving the problem or offering advice. 
sometimes people just need someone to listen and empathize with their situation. And this takes practice. And if, you know, you get it wrong the first couple of times, obviously you can try again. Um, the key is to practice these skills regularly because they're very beneficial. You know, have you ever heard of in a job setting where I know that a lot of jobs do testing where they look at people's level of empathy because they they grade that as an important measure for the type of leader that you are and you being an effective leader. Um, have you ever had to be especially empathetic in your communication or is that an area where you struggle, James? So I think I, I try to be empathetic. I have an empathetic mindset whenever possible and it depends on the conversation and the three things that I always think about, and it's related to communication, id, ego, and superego. So your ego is kind of your ref between your id, your primal desires to curse somebody out, and your <laughs> is how other people see you and, and what you might do. So that's in short. That's not an exact definition. But I'm always, I always try to be aware of what inherently I want to do, what I should do, and what I'm going to do, if that makes sense. So I'll tell you, I had a soldier who we thought was in the gang and he was ready to quit the army. And, you know, he wanted to do crazy stuff. This is at Fort Sill where they had, you know, gangs and all kind of violence and all that kind of stuff. So he decided he didn't want to come to work and, you know, he didn't want to do this job and listen to people and all that. So he was like, you don't know nothing. You're not from the street. I said, listen, I'm older. I'm from the street because just because I'm from what you consider ghetto doesn't mean I have to act ghetto all the time. So I empathize with him. I said, I'm basically from a rougher street than you were ever from. You know, I don't go out trying to be the hardest guy or remind myself where I come from. I'm more focused on where I'm going. So I had that whole conversation with him. And I think it turned around because I started a conversation where he smiled. And he's like, yeah, okay, Sarge, whatever, got you. So the next day, he just treated me totally different. He was more respectful. He was coming to me. As, a, as somebody who can mentor him, who's somebody who had climbed the chain in the Army, and I was an example of what you could do better to get in my shoes, but I'm trying to get in the next man's shoes and get to where he's going. So you never stop your drive. But what you're doing in the streets and everything, in the military, could destroy your life. So if you get in trouble getting a felony, they're going to put you in jail and throw the key away. So do the right thing. But it totally changed that too. No, that's great. That was a good connection. And, and I, I think sometimes, like we talk about growing up in neighborhoods like that where you don't have good role models and the, the people that you're exposed to are all doing negative things. In one of our podcasts where we had one of our guests on, we were talking with, with, uh, with AJ Franco. One of the things that he talked about is that when he connected with me in Stockton and I was running the warehouse there and he saw that I came from a similar background that as he did, he saw his ability to then be in those shoes where he had never seen that before. All the leaders that he had encountered had been older, Caucasian, guys that had college degrees. And so in his mind, that's what it took to get into that role. And when he saw somebody of my caliber where I was like, well, this is a guy who came from a very similar background that was involved in, in some of the street life stuff, and just like me, and look what he's doing that means I can do it. And I think that there's a lot of nonverbal cues that are going there that, go, that are going on in that communication because you're seeing the ability to get from point A to point B. You know that it's possible as opposed to, man, I never even thought this could even be a possibility. Now he's running in his own warehouse in Stockton. And it's really all about being able to, to visualize yourself in that role at some point, you know? And that's, that's great that you connected with that kid. 
a similar story about my nephew. Yeah. I'm the first in my family to achieve a, well, a, a master's degree. I come from the same street my nephew comes from. Wild kid, he's running around doing whatever. I recently crossed that seven figures that everybody's been looking for all their life. I never thought I'd be here. Knowledge is the key, communication, all of that. So my nephew now sees where I'm at, and he talks to me over other people that are in his proximity or area or whatever or closer to him and asks me for advice. What should I do with that? Yeah, I want to do like you. I want to get like, you know, tell me how to get where you at. And I tell him, I'm not tooting my own horn. It's just from experience. I'm trying to get where you at, uh, Jose. So I learn from other people what I can. So you have one and two ears. You should listen twice as much as you talk. I agree with that. Uh, The third hack is nonverbal cues. And nonverbal cues can contradict and destroy the message that you're trying to send. And it can distort a message that's being sent your way. Um, So it's really important to pay attention to the nonverbal cues. 93% of communication can be nonverbal. Body language accounts for 55% and tone accounts for about 38% of the nonverbal communication. A person's culture can also interpret body language differently. Eye contact in one culture may be disrespectful in another culture. So it's important to understand that as well. Uh, Body language is like the emoticon of verbal communication. Without it, the receiver of the message can misinterpret the communication. Body language has an influence on power dynamics between communicators. For example, if someone is, if you're sitting in your desk and you have someone standing in front of your desk, you're now in a position of power. You know, depending on how that communication can happen, there's a power dynamic that plays out in communication. To improve communication using nonverbal cues, start by paying attention to your own body language. Look at your posture and your facial expressions. Make sure that you're standing tall and that you're keeping natural gestures. Make sure that you're not closed off and closing your arms across your chest and closing off your body to the communication of the other person that's talking to you. Uh, Don't forget about eye contact because that shows that you're paying attention and that you respect the person that you're talking to. If you're looking at your computer while they're talking to you, it could be a sign of you're not really paying attention. It's also important to respect people's personal space and find the right distance when talking to them. I know from my experience when I was in Afghanistan, it always made me uncomfortable when the Afghan soldiers would come in and they would get so super close to you to talk to you. And in their culture, especially the guys, they just have a tendency to get closer to each other. Uh, and it makes us Americans feel a little uncomfortable. I know it made me feel they uncomfortable. They even hold hands. Yeah, sometimes they hold hands and they walk and hold hands. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, James, you ever hold hands with Afghan soldiers? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was mentoring a star major in the Afghan army. He got promoted because he found the cash weapons. I'm like, what, all these years of school I went through, whatever. So he came to my tent one night because we had a successful mission. And he comes in there to share a cigar and, and, you know, he's like, okay, let's go up to the top and talk to the people. So he reached out to grab my hand. And I was like, uh, what are you doing, man? <laughs> he says, no, nothing. We're friends. Yeah, okay, we're friends. What are you doing? He said, I'm holding your hand. I said, wait, well, slow down, man. Hey, listen, <laughs> I don't hold dude's hand. I said, <laughs> now, if you grow some breath and come back, we could probably hold hands, but that's not going to happen. So I got chewed out that night by our star major who will be nameless, he said, I told you they have customs and you got to go along with that. So listen, you go ahead and court-martial me now. But it's not getting back to my family that I was holding some dude's hand skipping across the desert <laughs> when I'm supposed to be here. I'm, I think we get me that's not happening. Yeah, so he yeah. got me. Hey, whatever. 
I think it's important. It's important to understand that in nonverbal communication, different cultures will. I know you were in Japan for a minute, and and what what are the non-communication verbal cues in Japan? In Japan, you have to learn everywhere you go. You have to learn the common vernacular. I keep using that word, right? Yeah. And vernacular means a common language or understanding of that culture and how they do business or how things are perceived. So in Japan, they do a lot of bowing, mm. and the deeper the bow, the deeper the respect is. So I tried to do that one time to show this guy a lot of respect. You got I stuck. almost touched my toes and I have a bad back and locked up on me and I fell over. <laughs> so he laughed. And I thought it was funny too. So I got up and shook his hand. But I will say that they have a polite way of talking. They don't talk with any aggression. They're always punctual. Um, if you go in McDonald's and get some fries of the cold and bring them back, hey, these fries go, huh? The guy in the back will do Harry Carry and cut his own stomach open, right? And his entrails will fall on the floor. They are serious people. I'm kidding, of course. They're serious people, and they are the politest individuals you'll ever see on planet Earth. Yeah. That's awesome. Has, uh, has, has body language, uh, miscommunication of body language or misreading of body language ever got you in any trouble? Oh, almost daily. <laughs> uh, to my wife. So I'm gonna tell you, I'll tell you about the Army. Because we spent half our life in the army, yeah. and all three of us can understand uh, the position of parade rest, right? Yeah. So I was getting counseled. Well, explain so that I, because pe- people that are listening may not know what that is. So kind of explain okay. what the purpose of that is. It's where you put your hands behind your back when you're talking, and you keep your legs, um, shoulder, feet apart, shoulder length apart, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to look directly at that person. Um, you can move slightly to answer questions. But you do not talk with your hands. That's what parade rest is. Yeah, and the purpose of parade rest is really so that when when someone's correcting you or someone's like going off on you or whatever, it's to put you in a position where you can receive the communication. So it's basically to say, all right, get into this position, and you're going to hear what I have to say. You know, but it's know? also something that you do with people who are who outrank you. Yeah, yeah, it's a sign of respect right. that you give to uh, to higher rank. Yeah. So I was totally disrespectful. I didn't like him. I didn't understand why I was there. And this is one of my first ones. I was, you know, a little private. So um, I can't remember what it was about, but I know he said, uh, yeah, uh, how about parade rest? And I said, no, you good. Right. And he was insulted by that. Right. <laughs> so I said, oh, you mean me? So I went to parade rest and he started talking and I was moving my eyes all around or whatever. And I talked with my hands. I'm from New York. It's hard to, if you tie my hands up, I can barely talk. Right? <laughs> I was you me. So, you know, he went on and on, and I got so frustrated, I took my hands from my back, and I pointed my finger at him. And you know, in the Army, you're supposed to do the knife hand. That's where you extend all your fingers and your thumbs out. Yeah. But I pointed, I said, if you knew what was going on, you wouldn't say. So he went off, man. He called me out. He called other people in. He was getting ready to give me UCMJ, whatever. And uh, so I went, when I went in front of his boss, I played it so calm. I said, well... He was just picking on me. I was just so upset. I'm sorry. I lost my temperament. It'll never happen again. My apologies. <laughs> so, like, but being from where I'm at and talking to my hands, always it was always a hard thing to go to parade rest and keep my eyes focused on who was talking without my eyes, you know, rolling in the back of my head or, or talking with my hands. Yeah, so that was. And I learned by not using my hands so much when I talk, especially professionally, because you can distract the person from what you're saying by all your hand movements. Like too many motion stuff on slideshows, too many colors you might distract 
from the message that is being put out. For sure. Um, and how I correct that? I just don't talk with my hands as much when I'm talking uh, professionally. No, that's really good, man. That's really important too, because sometimes we don't realize that our body language can be distracting from the message that we're actually, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and that's yep. rather you're you're the one, you know, sending or receiving. My son, actually, he had gotten in trouble when he was younger, uh, my oldest son, and I want to say he was probably about 15 at this point, and he had to go to court. And, of course, when you're that age, you're going to a court that's for juveniles, not an adult court. And this particular day, the judge that was that was sitting for his case was from the adult criminal court. And it wasn't a juvenile judge, first of all, and he was also from a criminal court. So when he came in and, you know, he gave his spill and um, he started reading something that had to do with my son and my son smiled. Well, he didn't know this, but that's my son will smile if he's upset, if he's sad, if he's happy. It's a defense thing for him, something that he kind of has had to work to control. So when the judge was speaking and he smiled, he stopped what he was saying and he got very upset and he shook his finger at him. He told him that he was going to make him leave the courtroom and because he had somebody that was appointed to represent him that that was kind of like a court psychologist. And he actually went and talked to the judge and said, hey, look, like it wasn't him being disrespectful. But even in those type of nonverbal cues, somebody can read you very different. Oh, yeah. And it could get him in a lot of trouble, too. He could have been like, you know, if he would have been on trial for something, he could have gave him like more time because he's like, oh, you're being cocky or you're being disrespectful. So I've even seen people. So I was a medic in the military. I've even seen people who when when they encounter pain, they laugh. Yeah. And that's kind of creepy for a lot of people. But yeah, some, some people will laugh. It's coping. So our fourth hack to mastering communication is to work on your storytelling ability. Storytelling is such a powerful part of communication. And, you know, let me tell you why. So when you share a story, it really grabs people's attention and gets them emotionally invested. Plus, it can make complicated ideas so much easier to understand and remember. Stories also help us connect with each other and see things from different perspectives. This can create a sense of empathy and understanding between the storyteller and the audience. And I actually pulled up a quote because um, this is a quote that I've, well, I've referenced a lot actually with people. And the reason is because um, I used to tell people when I would give a presentation or when I wanted to drive something home that if I made them cry, then it was a good presentation. And the reason is because there's a quote by Maya Angelou where she says, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So again, you know, one of the great things about stories is that it sticks with us. So instead of just playing facts or numbers or just throwing data at people, getting them to have some type of feeling is far better than just driving home what it is that you're trying to say. You're actually getting them to feel what it is that you're talking about. Just remember, though, that when you're storytelling, you do want to invoke emotion and hopefully the emotion that you're invoking isn't negative. But when you're storytelling, remember your audience. So if you're telling a story like, I don't watch football, so I don't know the rules in football. So if you were telling a story and you were referencing football, I would be lost. But if you referencing something that obviously I either I like or that I would know what it is that you're talking about, then that story would impact me differently. So if you were talking about children, like what if this happened to your child? Well, then, yeah, that's going to be that story is going to be hit me different than if you gave me a sports analogy. Yeah. Has a story ever 
improved a message of communication where you wanted to really get something across, even if it was something simple or maybe it was something difficult that you were trying to get across to people? So I had a soldier that was consistently late in one week. So I gave him a story about another soldier in a similar position. This first soldier that was late all the time, I pulled him on side and said, hey, man, what's going on with you, man? Why, why are you always late? He said, ah, uh, that damn cat. And I said, what? What are you talking about? That cat, my wife brought a cat home and he keeps unplugging the alarm clock. I said, what? <laughs> I, I said, what? You bring that cat in and it, well, I'm bringing a alarm clock in. If he unplugs it, I'm going to give myself a counsel statement. You could have my job. So I told I told that first person that I was going to give him UCMJ, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But the second person I told that story to and he automatically started laughing. You know, it was it connected us because we hadn't had that many conversations before. You've been in the army, you've been in platoon, sorry. There's people in platoon that don't reach out or you don't talk to every day because of our jobs take us different places. But once I told him that story, you know, he had to chuckle. He saw that I was relatable. I was a human being and I was just trying to do my job. That I was trying to do my job. So we had a great relationship after that. He told other people that I was, you know, I had a sense of humor and I wasn't just hard guy just trying to do my job, whatever. But I told him, if this happened again, then I'm going to have to do some action on you. But I just want you to understand what I've gone through. I've been late my other time, but I'm up here and I can't have you do that. Don't be that other guy unless you have a cat that can do the same thing. (laughs) I've never been late. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Tell the story. Yeah, there's a there's a story between me and James where um, we actually we were preparing to deploy and we were both part of this mid team and we were both going through training in Fort Riley, Kansas. And James had a car and not, not a lot of people had a car there. A lot, a lot of people didn't know they could have a car there. So uh, when I showed up, I didn't have a vehicle. I met James and from the very first day we started riding with him, me and a couple other guys started riding with James. This particular morning, we were supposed to, me and James, like James had just talked about running to stay in shape. And that's something that we were doing. We were getting ready to deploy. And so the night before, I'm like, hey, tomorrow morning, let's get up at five o'clock and let's go running. And he was like, all right, bet. All right, I'm going to I'm knock on your door. Be ready at five. <laughs> right. So when I hear this banging on my door, I'm like, well, who's that? Like, who's banging on my door at like before five? Because, you know, I know you're we supposed to link up at five. So I get up and I, I sleep in my underwear, right? So I go to the door and, and the way our barracks room was set up is it had like a common area that had a door access. And then your private room had a door access. And the common area was like a kitchenette and it had like a bathroom that you shared with the other roommate who had his own, his own private room. And so when I came out, I made sure to like prop the door open so because it automatically locked. So I put like a shoe there and I opened the door and and James was standing there in full uniform. And I'm like, <laughs> yo, what's going on? What's happening? And he's like, yo, we're late. <laughs> and I'm like, what what time is it? And he was like, man, it's like almost nine o'clock. And I'm like, what happened to us running this morning? He's like, I knocked on your door and you never answered. So he goes, I I, I assumed you didn't want to go running. So I he said, I went and I ran. And but like now we're gonna be late. You need to get ready. And I said, dude, I said, give me 10 minutes. I got to shower and shave and, and get my uniform on. I said, don't leave me. Like, cause there was no way for me to get to the training site. Cause it was, it was like a couple miles away. Was that an auditorium we had to go to? Did your cat unplug your alarm? No, I didn't have a cat. <laughs> uh, I don't know what happened. I, I have no idea what happened that night. I must've been sound asleep. But anyways, I went into the room, I got my shaving kit. And as I came out of the door, the door closed behind me. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah, so I didn't prop it open. The door closed behind me and my key was inside the room. So I had no way to get back into that room. And James was sitting in his car waiting for me to come outside. Are you so still in your underwear at this I'm point? I'm still in my underwear <laughs> at this point. And so I'm like, well, I can't do nothing. I just, I got to shave, right? So I shaved as fast as I could. And I kept thinking, James is going to come back and check on me. And James is sitting out there saying, man, I'm, where's this guy at? Where, like, you know, we had just been friends for like only a few days, right? You know? And so I was like, man, I know he, he probably left. He probably left. I'm probably in that, in that little space in my underwear for like maybe about... 20 minutes before I get another knock on the door and it's James again. He's like, yo, what's, what's going on? Like, why aren't you ready? I had shaved so fast that I cut myself in multiple places and I was bleeding and I was in my underwear. He was like, yo, did you get sexually assaulted? Like what happened to you? I had to beat the other what was going on. <laughs> bleeding, he's in the throat. What are you doing? <laughs> I was like, yo, I'm locked out of my room, man. What am I going to do? And he was like, um, can you climb in the, in the back window? Because I was on the first floor. He's like, can you run around and climb in through the window? And I was like, yo, can you give me a T-shirt, bro? <laughs> why, why didn't he climb through the window? Huh? He wanted you to run around in your underwear with a bloody face? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know why, man. But he, he got me some PTs, and I, I, went, I went and climbed through my window, got into my uniform, and we ended up showing up late. I helped you through your window. Yeah, yeah, yeah you sure did. Yeah, you sure did. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and it was more than an hour, but whatever. Yeah, it was. We were we were hella late. We probably got there like maybe around eleven o'clock. We were no supposed way. to be there. Yeah, we were supposed to be there like eight thirty or something like that. Like we were super late, but um, that was when that that's really kind of where I I uh, our friendship kind of developed from that like that the uh, experience because everybody else left. Everybody else was gone. Like I'm surprised he didn't leave you. Yeah, I'm surprised too. I wouldn't have blamed him, <laughs> but uh, he didn't I, leave. Would you have left him? No, no, I wouldn't have left him either. Are you sure about that? Yeah. I don't know that I would have sat in the car for 20 minutes, though. I probably would have came in a lot sooner than that. I would have, We didn't have cell phones, so. Yeah. Yeah, that right. makes well, sense. what you was doing. And then we had that Kentucky Fried Chicken incident. Popeye's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a, that was a situation where, where James took a hit. where He didn't deserve. Uh, we had a situation while we were during the training event where we had just left the range, and we decided to stop and get some food to eat. And uh, Have you heard the story, Crystal? about the, the Popeyes. When we got there, one of the rules on, on the base was that you could not wear oh, your soft yeah. cap, you know? So you couldn't wear your soft cap on the base. You had to wear your beret. And we were at the range, and you can't wear your, your beret at the range. So we didn't bring our berets. We ha had no intentions on stopping. And so as we, as we were walking in, me and another partner of ours, we had our, our soft cap on, but James had his beret in his car. But instead of putting on his beret... He put on his soft cap in order for us to stay in uniform, to be uniformity. So even though he knew that was wrong, like you right. know, we all knew, like, oh, we don't have our beret. And he's like, well, I'm just going to wear my soft cap with you guys. So if we get in trouble, we all get in trouble. And James, you tell the story from there because you know what happened after that. And this is a communication story. So we're tying it into the box. <laughs> I believe in loyalty, right? And I have clear communication wherever I'm hanging out with. If we all sink or swim, we're doing it together. Yeah. Anyway, so we go into Popeye's, and, you know, we had a hungry hippo with us. He was a major, right? And we're two E7s. So we ordering the food, and the star major comes busting, and he's, the, he's like the star major of the post. We didn't know who he was. He was civilian right? clothes. We didn't know who he was. But if he had a communicated effectively instead of with aggression and anger, then it might have been different. But he started yelling at everybody. Right, and I ignored. Him. I still kept ordering my food, 
And he said, well, what's your problem? Why don't you have? I said, well, mine's in my car, and I you know, wanted to be uniform and everybody else. And so he just kept going on about this hat. And I said, sorry, Major, you finished. I got to go to bed. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be back. So I walked away. He was fuming. But since he was in civilian clothes, we didn't know where he was. He couldn't really do anything. So he told on us. He told the story, but he didn't tell his side of the story, what he did. <laughs> so when it went back to our unit, <laughs> unit, it was like the next morning, right? Yeah. There was a poster up of what you should do and stay away from these three crazy people that don't listen to what, what was put out. So um, uh, good communication is the key. He didn't communicate effectively with us. And we yeah. say, hey, I'm the sorry major the post. Why are you that way? Once we told you, you should have exited stage left and figured out, you know, how you could correct the problem. Now, I could have went back to my car and got my hat, but I figured that we were all in the same position and yeah. I wasn't, you know, be the odd one. We all say hey, we're a team. We yeah. all go down. But whatever. Yeah, and, and, and that's, uh, that's something that's, that can often be lost on, on people who, who aren't part of teams or, or who don't know how to be part of part of teams. But if one of you is wrong, then you're all wrong. So, yeah. um, But I just want to talk about her for a second. Her name is Alexis Jones, and she was doing – there's a TED Talk that she did where she's talking about storytelling and the impact of it when you're sharing with certain groups – so she was going to do a talk. It was after there had been a lot of cases in the media with sexual assault with like football players and stuff. And her husband was an ex-football player, ex-NFL football player. And so she was going to do this speech in one of the locker rooms and she was talking to her husband about it. And she's like, you know, how do I drive this home? And what she was talking to them about, she wanted to talk about how you kind of get into the, the groove of when it's all males, like how you talk about females um, and sometimes how you make jokes and things like that. She wanted to, it, for it to be a serious conversation and for them to feel it like she wanted to have a good story. What she ended up doing was she ended up pulling up pictures of some of their female family members. Mm. So when she was having the conversation with them and she asked some questions, she pulled up some of their pictures and she said, what if it was her? Mm. And their reaction was just completely like, completely different because you know that that hit home for them so that yeah. that drew them in with emotion that um that that's a really great point and it reminds me of uh when i was running the warehouse in uh, in minnesota at cardinal health and we were having an issue with quality and part of our job was to send out medical supplies to hospitals that was just in time meaning i used the i used the band-aid yesterday i'm going to order it and today i'm going to have a band-aid delivered and in this situation, we were getting things wrong. The wrong thing was going to the hospital. It wasn't going to the right hospital and things like that. And obviously, a Band-Aid is not that critical. But if it's something that is special for a special procedure, it needs to be the right thing, right? right. And so the way that we changed the narrative for the team to make sure that the, the employees were focused on quality is we told that same very same story. We said, what if it was your mom who's getting a surgery? What if it's your daughter who needs your tonsils removed? What if it's your um, brother who got hit by a car? And, and once we made it personal for the employees, the employees realized that a minor mistake, even though it may just be, oh, I accidentally didn't put this in the right box, can be the impacting to that care who could be that, that person's family member or, or somebody else's family member. And one of the things that we did to really bring it home is whenever we had an employee who went to the doctor, we would share pictures of that employee in the Cardinal Health stuff. 
saying, look, this is a, this one of our employees. What if we sent the wrong thing and one of our employees, the guy that you call a coworker, didn't get that item and, and right. therefore couldn't get that care. So I, I think there's power in storytelling 100%. Uh, the last hack is to improve your feedback. And I know, I know James started off one of his five uh, principles of, of communication talking about feedback. Um, and I want to make sure that you guys know that, that it helps make sure everyone understands each other. Uh, like when you ask questions or summarize what somebody said to make sure that you got it right. It also shows that you're actively listening and interested in what's being said. Feedback is great for helping us improve our communication skills too. When someone gives us constructive feedback, it helps us see where we can do better leading to a stronger relationship and better conversations down the line. In a work setting, feedback can be the difference between good performance and poor performance. Feedback can also help resolve conflicts by addressing issues before they get out of hand. When you have conflict and you say, did you mean it this way? Or did you say it this way? Or, hey, what you said impacted me this way. Is that how you meant it? Uh, so feedback is really important for learning, growing, and constantly improving, both in our personal lives and also our professional lives as well. Have you ever failed to get feedback on communication and completely got the message wrong? Has that ever happened to you? Yes, it has. So I was getting ready to deploy on a mission with a soldier, and I said, hey, I want you to go out and service those antennas for this deployment. Come back and let me know. So he never came back to me. I never inquired, you know, uh, if he did it. And we had all our parts and everything for the deployment. So this antenna, of course, is 0254, which basically is a radio antenna, right? So to connect the antenna to the radio itself, there's a connector adapter that connects them. It won't work without that. So when we got out there, uh, the colonel's like, come on, let's go. We got to set up everything. Blah, blah. So I'm rushing. Okay, let's get it all up. I'm setting up the antennas and everything. We got two up and everything. We get ready to hook it up to the radio. And I said, hey, man, where's the, uh, the adaptive connectors? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know that was part of it. I said, uh, I think I told you to make sure we had to do a proper inventory and to get back to me. You never got back to me. So I assumed that everything was squared away. Mm -hmm. right? So that mission almost failed. However... Right in the military, you have a pace plan: primary, alternate, contingency, emergency. We went straight from primary to emergency, right? Because the colonel was yelling, at me, "Why is the radio now?" I said, "Oh, one minute, sir. We we're gonna go to the truck." So I ran over to the next encampment, and just so happened it was one of my boys. He was a, a signal guy too. He said, "You need you need adapter connectors here. I got ten, twenty of them. How many you need?" I said, "Give me four. And I ran. I dropped one. <laughs> Here's the radio going, hello, uh, break one-niner. But that was an instance where I did not get the proper feedback. Um, I didn't involve myself. My message just went out in the stratosphere. I don't even know if he received it correctly or not, right? And I never got the, the required feedback. And I didn't give him exact instructions on what to do. And that was kind of my fault. There was not even a, a technical manual in there to tell him what was supposed to be in the bag, even though his pictures on it. I mean, I made the assumption that he was squared away. So I know I'm, I'm insulting sometimes when I tell people, did you understand what I just said? And that, that's an explanation too, because I have to explain to them, it's not me being rude or not demeaning your intelligence or insulting you. When I ask you that question, I want to make sure you receive my message correctly and you're going to give me the feedback in this answer. Yes, I did, or no, I did not. 
And a lot of communication can be misconstrued if you're in gray areas. Everything should be black or white. So even when I'm here, uh, my wife gets when I'm home, my wife tells me that I have to get out of that military mindset and the way I talk because I'm straight, no fluff. This is how it is, right? She say, uh, should I wear this dress? Absolutely not. She said, why, why did you have to put the absolutely in front of me? I just wanted you to know there's no room for negotiation. <laughs> and this is how we make messages clear by either putting adverbs, adjectives, or whatever you need to, exclamation points at the end of the sentence, so people understand exactly what you're trying to say. Not even just that, but, you know, in the medical field, one of the big things that they changed, I would say over the last 20, 25 years, maybe a little bit more, is... I don't know if you guys remember when some stories had came out about like an instrument being left in somebody or the wrong leg being worked on or amputated. One of the changes that they made was, was that when they're doing a procedure that they communicate with the patient and the patient signs paperwork saying this in their own words, this is what I understand is happening so that if what you write isn't what the doctor's doing. The doctor's going to have a conversation with you so that you understand in, in plain language and in the language that you understand of what's about to happen. And that has prevented, I'm not going to say there's zero percentage, something would happen that you're not aware of, but it's definitely cut it down significantly. I even hear come, come and say, they'll walk in and say, uh, what, what's being done to you today? Right, the last um, year. What what's what's your your birth date? You know, they want to make sure you're the right you, guy. And they'll ask you which leg. Yeah, which you leg? <laughs> like, don't mark the wrong leg. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I have a story about communication too, and this is me relating things through storytelling. So my father was from Union, South Carolina, it's the South country boy. I'm mm-hmm. from New York, and I went to the school I went to was very analytical, math, science, whatever. Right. So we had a very small backyard in New York. So it was the middle of the night. Uh, the dogs were barking. He had a little pen that he kept the dogs in, which I thought was animal cruelty that he used to hunt with, <laughs> had some beagles. So we lived close to the Procter & Gamble site, which was like mostly wooded area. So he comes out of the bed. He's in his drawers. Get up, boy. I said, what? What's going on? The dogs are barking. I think there's something out there. I said, okay. So he said, come on out. Grab that light. And come out with me. Back in the 70s, a flashlight was a bat, right, with light on the end. So he comes out. He runs uh, in the dog pen. He jumps over the pen, which might have been five feet high to restrain the dogs. He had hay in the in the doghouse. That way the dogs could keep warm in the winter. Anyway, he jumps over there. I'm freezing. I got this big flashlight. I'm a little kid. The flashlight's half my size. It's heavy. He, he looks back. He says, hey, throw the light. So in my analytical mind, I thought he meant actually to move the device from my hand through space to him, right? <laughs> Which he may just shine the light over here. Now, had he communicated correctly with me, right, we wouldn't have had no problem. So he said, the light. I picked the light. I threw it. You know, oh. I threw the light. It hit, it, hit the doghouse and hit him in the head and fell on the ground. His eyes turned around. He was glowing in the dark. I ran and said, ah, Ma, he's crazy. He followed me and said, what's with you, boy? Right? Smashed everything. And my mother was saying to me, what's wrong? This boy, something wrong with him. We got to take him out of that school. Right? Yeah. It's because we have different backgrounds. I didn't know that 
throw the light meant shine the light over it. All he had to do was say shine the light. So when he said throw it, in my mind, I was like, wait a minute, this object is too heavy to go through space with the force of acceleration from my hand, right? <laughs> his back is to me, how's he going to catch it? In his butt cheeks, how's he going to catch his light? So, um, that is a story that has not died down. My family always talks about that same story <laughs> at 57 years old. Oh my so that God. is one of the big things about communication, I think, that makes me an expert, Okay. You have to know how to communicate to get the end result you're looking for. Yeah, I don't think his his end result was a flashlight to the head. <laughs> that's amazing. That's a, that's a great story, man. That's a really great story. The, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that is taking place. And, and James' story just kind of shared that. Sometimes you think what you said, what you communicated to the other person, they actually got that. And that actual communication has actually happened in that in that example. If you've ever found yourself unfocused um, in an important conversation, reading emails while an employee is trying to relay a personal problem to you, or if you just need to work on your communication skills, if you have difficulty relating to others or, or their perspectives or hiding the disgust on your face when someone says something that you think is totally stupid, then you need to work on enhancing your ability to communicate effectively. If you can't tell a good story with the ability to capture somebody's attention or give someone feedback on something that, you know, just something that they just said or something that you just said, then you need to master the art of communication. I invite you to take the LinkedIn course, Develop Your Communication Skills and Interpersonal Influence. This course teaches you how to convey information and ideas in an engaging manner. They teach how to build trust and be heard. And the course is about Five hours and 15 minutes. I know that's pretty long, but well worth the effort. We'll provide the link in the show notes for you guys. James, any advice for our listeners out there who might be finding it difficult to communicate either at home or at work or with others? Yes. When you speak to somebody, you've got to remember those five elements of communication. And you have to empathize to make sure that what you're saying is not clouded by the noise in that person's head. So uh, you need to speak clearly, articulately. Um, you need to Cut down on the ums. I say um every now and then. You need to also be aware of your id, ego, and superego. So you know that you're not acting aggressively or something that's inherent in your nature and how it might be perceived by the receiver. And then the medium you're sending it through. When I first started sending email, I did in all caps. Like I was yelling at somebody, <laughs> right? Somebody had to pull me aside. This is not how you send email. Because... I was alive before computers and cell phones and all that kind of stuff. So there was a decorum that I had to learn, a common vernacular. That word always comes up. So try to develop a common vernacular with who you're talking to. Try to understand a little of their background if possible. Don't talk with your hands as much. And when you speak, speak in a firm tone, depending on the situation, but not an aggressive tone because energy is matched in the conversation. So if you're jovial in the conversation, the person will be jovial back with you. But if you're rude, either apprehensive or too aggressive, you'll get that same energy back, and that translates to noise. And always ask for feedback. No gray area. Always black and white. This is what I want. Absolutely not. You know, I agree 100%. Something like that. Words that are, are non-deniable. There's no gray space. It's black or white. That's awesome. That's good yeah, that's stuff. That's great feedback. That's really great feedback. Yeah. We want to thank you for joining us today um, on the show. I know that 
you're a busy person and taking time out of your day to do this is very selfless of you. Um, it was great to hear how you've mastered communication and harnessed the power of storytelling to motivate and persuade. And we hope that, you know, sometime in the future, you join us again as another expert. Thank you for having me. I love talking, especially with you guys and near and dear to my heart. And if you ever want me to come back, I'm there. All right. As we wrap up today's podcast on effective communication, let's take a moment to reflect on the incredible power of meaningful conversations and genuine connections. Always remember that communication is the bridge that unites us, helping us navigate our relationships, achieve our goals, and create a better understanding of the world around us. Investing time and effort into honing your communication skills will not only help you grow personally and professionally, but it will also positively impact the lives of those that you interact with. Embrace the journey of continuous improvement. Actively listen and empathize with others. Be mindful of both your verbal and your nonverbal cues and never underestimate the value of honest feedback. As you move forward, may you find inspiration and motivation in every conversation, unlocking the potential for growth, collaboration, and unity. With every word you speak and every message you share, remember that you have the power to change the world one conversation at a time. Thank you for joining us on this journey to become better communicators, and we look forward to continuing this exploration together in future episodes. Stay curious, stay connected, and keep making a difference through the power of effective communication. communication. If you found today's discussion relatable and impactful, then we encourage you to show your support by liking, subscribing, and following us on all social media platforms. By doing so, you'll gain access to the latest episodes and exclusive behind-the-scenes content that you won't want to miss. Don't hesitate. Join our growing community of enthusiastic listeners today. Additionally, we would greatly appreciate if you could leave us a comment on the streaming platform that you use to listen to our show. Hearing from our listeners is always a delight, and your feedback can help us tailor our content to your interest. Tell us what topics you'd like for us to tackle next. We are all ears.